Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 10 of the PDH Pod, the one and only Magic the Gathering podcast dedicated to the total exploration of the Popper Commander format. I'm your host, Brad Drack V, and once again, we've got a very special guest at our table this week, but let's see what my co-hosts from the East Coast are up to first. First up is Dave, the Alcadron Vader. How do you feel about hitting double-digit episodes on the show? We've made it. This is it. We've made this, it. This we're, is stardom. We're established. This is fame. <laughs> Actually, yep. so I, I had an interaction with someone in the PDH home base the other a couple of days ago where like they, they, they showed up, they were brand new, they asked me, or they, they, they just posted in deck help, like, hey, does anyone want to take a look at this as my first PDH deck and like mm-hmm. some feedback? And so I, I was looking through the deck, I posted a bunch of things and they were they were like conversing with me about it. And then like fifteen minutes later they were like, Holy moly, I just realized who you are. Wowzer. <laughs> and I was like First of all, who says holy moly in Wowser? But second of all, that's awesome. Second of all. If you're listening, <laughs> my friend, uh, episode 10, you are the reason I feel like we've made it. Thank you for that. That's, that's right. We are established now. And next up is our resident PDH PhD, Liam. Happy 10th anniversary to you as well. Or 10th episode, I should say. <laughs> yeah, happy 10th episode. So, Brad, uh, this week in, in Magic News, I have either Magic Discourse News or good personal magic news which would you like to hear Ooh, do i get both uh you can choose both okay let's do the drama first all right the drama so far this year uh if you ignore the fact that january 1st was on a saturday and you count the fact this is a full week as we're recording on tuesday and our listeners will be listening on friday uh we are 32 weeks into the full year there have been 36 secret layers announced or sold so far this year oh my god Secret layers are currently outnumbering the week we are on. <laughs> it's just a flood of product. It, it is. And the personal good news is I was looking over uh, one of my EDH decks, not my PDH decks, mm-hmm. and discovered that over time as I was making swaps, I accidentally went from 37 lands to 32 in my mono green deck, and I fixed that today. Oh, nice. I yeah. know for a while you were kind of kind of struggling. You were far behind on updating all your decks I'm, and getting them caught up. So yeah. that I've actually been, has a I've pretty been, big accomplishment. I've, I've been building so much PDH that my EDH decks just kind of suffered a little bit. So that, that's been fixed, but I'm scared to look at the other two. Well, I'm glad that's rectified. It probably yeah. feels good. It does feel great. All right. Well, finally, help me welcome to the show all the way from Australia and a fixture of the Saturday night PA, PDH streams, Common Commander. Good morning to you, Dallas. We're recording this on a Tuesday. But you're getting up early on a on a Wednesday morning to join us, so thank you for that. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Fresh out of my bed, feeling all right. Uh, happy to be on the show. Yeah, great. We're happy to have you. Uh, hopefully the birds chirp up, because I know you love to hear them on the stream. I do. That is, <laughs> I mean, besides, obviously, getting to play paper PDH every week, that is like the, one of the highlights of the Saturday stream is hearing the magpies in the distance. It's very refreshing. Yeah, I thought we'd have you on the show. This is something we, you and I have sort of chatted back and forth on twitter or what have you about and you know this this interview this show might be a little more you know in the abstract as opposed to like our previous interviews that were a little more structured but i think we're gonna we'd like to take a look pick your brain a little bit at what actually kind of goes in 
to building a deck for PDH, you know, specifically if, if you're trying to brew one from scratch or just uh, starting with a brand new commander from a new set or what have you. Overall, I think the consensus is that PDH is probably one of, if not the best form- format for brewing, you know, right now especially. And I do inter- interact with a lot of people that actively stay away from, from the tier list that we have because they'd rather go brew something up, something they think's fun. And that, that's totally fine. I have no problem with that. But yeah, I, we kind of want to kind of see your approach on that because I've seen your decks the decks you post and you know there'll be a new commander spoiled at noon and by 1205 you have like an awesome list <laughs> you know already already put put out for it so uh what do you think about delving into some of that information for us i mean yeah that is my favorite thing to do is just brew decks i have probably brewed more than a thousand decks over my almost decade in magic i just like to spend my time yeah there was something something got brought up on twitter and i a commander or archetype or something i don't remember what it was but i just i tagged you in a comment and i said hey do you have a list for xyz and you're like yeah somewhere on my moxfield so i went and searched you out on moxfield and it was just page after page it, it was glorious, like it, some kind of treasure trove of decks, but I just I hadn't realized the <laughs> the obscene amount of decks you'd actually put up on Moxfield. It was very impressive. I actually have two Moxfield accounts. I have a secret one where I do all my brewing, and then the public one. <laughs> so if you wanted to get all the 50-card half builds, you'd probably find an extra 100 decks there. Oh, nice. So it's like the um, where all the theorizing begins. That's right. Yes. Dallas, did you know that when you first create a deck on Moxfield, you can set it to unlisted? I did know that. Okay. Um, but I just don't do that. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> I, that, totally that, fair. That, that's, my secret Moxfield is the same as my regular Moxfield. I just have a folder called Unfinished where all of my half 50-card half-brews that I've thought about and abandoned just languish mm, i just brew yeah. on that one because i had it before i started my twitter account and then i just uh duplicate the deck and change the name generally oh there you go yeah i usually when i'm putting together something on moxfield i'll, I'll start it on private and then i'll fill out the whole deck list and save it close the tab and walk away and, and forget that i left it on private i have done that before i will let yeah, you know it happens all the time <laughs> Yeah, when you duplicate a deck, it automatically unlists, so I've definitely done that. Oh, does it? Yes. Oh, I did not know that. I haven't really messed with Moxfield a whole lot other than just copy and pasting deck lists like into my account or whatever from my notepad on my phone. Sweet. Do you have any idea how much of a pain it is for Moxfield when you brew on pen and paper? <laughs> yeah, I imagine. <laughs> it's awful. Uh, yeah, but... This episode, this week, this was something you actually approached me uh, through Twitter a while back, and you were like, hey, how does someone get on the show? And I said, hey, I think you pretty much just did. (laughs) Uh, But but you mentioned you wanted to sort of talk about your strengths in the game, in the format uh, as a whole, which which I think you're totally right, is, is synergies, deck building, that sort of thing. And I sort of like to put it like this, the way I think about it, like when I personally build a deck, I get a lot of reactions that are like, sure. You know, that's one way you could do it. Looks fine. And then when, like, I see you play a deck that you've built or I see one of your deck lists online, to me, it's like, oh, well, that's how it should be built. Like, I went this other direction, which isn't necessarily wrong. It just feels like yours typically are a little more honed in, a little more focused on some piece of the puzzle that that I generally miss. Maybe Uh, maybe it's just my mindset, that sort of thing. You, You go 
kind of beyond what's printed in the commander's text box, if you will. And I kind of want to know, like, what interests me is, is how you, is that next level identification? Is that something that just comes naturally to you? Is it a skill you've honed? That sort of thing. So I think that's kind of what we're going to get into. But first, like every other interview, we always like to start our listeners off with a little bit of your background. You know, what got you into the game as a whole? What brought you to PDH? And I know on the streams before you've mentioned that you, you, played a lot of other formats, I think standard and maybe limited or something like that. So if there's anything you could take away from those formats that helped you out in PDH or, or popper, that sort of thing. So I'll kind of step back and let you take the floor on that one. Yeah, sure. So my history in Magic starts in 2014. So that was when I was, I was 13, <laughs> which feels really weird because it's almost <laughs> a decade. Um, it doesn't feel right. like it. So that was M15 had just come out and Tarkir and Theros were the most recent sets. Uh, so I think that was a good time to start, really. I had a friend who... Yeah, excellent sets. Yeah, I had a friend who invited me to play with a third friend who they knew, and we played the Elspeth vs. Kiora dual decks straight out of the box. Uh, and they were great, actually. They were really fun decks. Uh, I lost because I didn't know that tokens could block or attack no one had explained that to me. <laughs> so, so I had about 20 power of tokens, and I just thought, oh, well, that just, it's there. They're just cardboard. But uh, we still got really into the game. So later on in the month, uh, that friend and I went to go get a deck builder's toolkit. I'm not sure if they still do those, but I really liked that product. I did too. I was a huge fan of those too. I don't think they make them anymore. I think everything is just a bundle now. Yeah, the toolkits were really good. Um, you can probably get old ones. So we, we grabbed one yeah. of those. We actually split it. So we got about one deck each out of it because we were 13 <laughs> had no money. Mm -hmm. And we played for about a year, but we ended up kind of falling out of it. We took about a year hiatus. But I started watching YouTube MTG lots and lots and lots and lots, mostly MTG Goldfish, which we'll probably mm -hmm. talk about later. But I think Seth's approach to brewing and how he brews literally everything and every deck is on that channel i think that really helped me know every deck a little bit better so then we got heaps of our friends in high school playing it and we found commander which was awesome because we generally played four player five player six player games anyway with just 60 right. card decks so we got really into commander uh when arena came out i got into arena for a bit until they started doing digital only cards Mm -hmm. That was the downfall of a lot of arena players. Yeah, and it was already somewhat unfun. <laughs> yeah. Did some limited when we had money. So we, we play a lot of formats. So then I remember inventing a format as far as getting into PDH. We invented, mm -hmm. I'm doing air quotes, a format <laughs> called Crusader, which we played nice. an uncommon creature, that was your commander, and an uncommon enchantment that was like your religion. And then a common deck of 60. <laughs> nice. <laughs> now, I've been thinking about resurrecting this format uh, called, I'm going to call it Zealot instead of Crusader, I think. So look mm -hmm. for that in the future. But anyway, I I'm thought... I'm very interested in that. Yeah, I, it was really fun. I thought, that was so fun. I wonder if anyone's playing something like that. And this is about a year ago. I looked it up online. And I found the PDH home base. And I pretty much instantly fell in love. Joined the Discord. Looked at heaps of decks and just dive straight in. Then, here's the part where I come into Twitter and you'll get to know me. I saw mm -hmm. some dude, some random dude called Pauper Command on Discord. 
talking what? talking about his Twitter account, and I thought I can do that. <laughs> like, you're doing it much better than I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so you seem really busy, Liam. So I don't blame you. Yeah, I thought I could do that. So I made the Common Commander account, and now I'm running that. So that's really fun. Thank you very much, Liam, for inspiring me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you run that account very well. I think you usually do like one or two deck lists, like deck breakdown uh, primers a week on there. They're really good to see. Yeah, so I've been very busy um, this semester with uni, but I, I still do one deck a week minimum. Mm-hmm. And this week was... Just had it on the tip of my tongue. Latest one? Now I can't remember. I can't either. For the life of me, I cannot remember. Oh, it was Senate Guild Mage, Azorius Reanimator. That's it, Azorius Reanimator. Yep, I totally forgot the commander. Yeah, that's what it was. looked very interesting. I was always a big fan of... I think I maybe said this on the stream or something, but I was always a big fan of that blue-white Evoke deck we had in in Popper on MTGO for a while that was real strong, and this is kind of the PDH version of that, so it looked really sweet. I'm sorry, I haven't seen this. You said Azorius Reanimator. That's right. <laughs> Turns out white 100%. has more reanimation spells than black. Uh-huh. And we're talking yeah. about Senate Guild Mage, the, the newest one that gains life and I, yes. I think does something else. I'm it sure. loots. For two <laughs> like mana. Loot. It loots. Yes, for one yep. mana you can loot, so you can put the good stuff in the bin. Yep. Okay. I see it. Yeah, it looked, I, looked hella fun. Every single time, like... The, this card came out after I had already built a Grixis Battle Mage deck, and every single time I've ever looked at Senate Guild Mage, I'm like, why isn't it in Madness cards? And I've just made it, pulled a disgusted face and walked away. And like, <laughs> the idea of reanimating creatures with it never occurred to me, so that's very clever. Yeah, it is a very clever concept. So you pretty much went from Kitchen Table or Asphalt or whatever to commander like the 100 card formats you didn't really spend a whole lot of time in 60 card popper or 60 card formats i've actually never played 60 card pauper we pretty much went from kitchen table to commander mostly because Mm -hmm. we never bought singles at that time that was for some reason against our ethos (laughs) so we generally only had one of any good card so it kind of felt right you didn't have to think like oh i wish i had wish i had three more of this random angel <laughs> you only need one anyway yeah well that kind of leads to what i was thinking about i don't think i actually put him in the show notes but what is the paper magic scene like in australia because i usually you know on twitter mainly because of twitter i talk to a lot of the brazilian community a lot of the italian popper community but i think you're the first and one of the only australian popper community members i've talked to uh yeah i don't go to nlgs very often because the closest one is an hour away, sadly. Mm. Mm-hmm. But it was popular enough in my high school, and my friends still play it with me. Whenever I do go to an LGS, there are people there. It's not huge, but it's enough. Yeah, nothing exciting. Yeah, I was just always kind of curious about that. And also, usually, like when I talk to people or even the guests we've had on, we talk about how they got into magic or popper specifically or what have you they're like oh i started watching the professor and there you go i think you're one of the first i've heard that said nope i was watching saffron olive and that was my that was my magic teacher so that's that was pretty interesting he does have a very unique uh sort of slant on on building decks i need to revisit some of those videos yes i was a big big saffron olive fan before the um before even the face cam came out and he would just brew 
I think two to three decks every week, different formats, different decks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was that, so much back fun. When having he was big into Popper and everything else. Yeah, probably watched some Popper too. Yeah, he was him and the professor were the first two Popper video content, you know, brewers that I watched when I got into the format. But he doesn't really, I don't think either of them really touched Popper very much anymore, which is kind of sad, but yeah, that's okay. It happens. The professor is, um, He's big on pauper, but he doesn't put out too many videos on it. Yeah, yeah, he loves the format, but he doesn't really focus on it too much. In in fairness, I think he's. He I think does, he still plays it. In fairness, he does magic in general. Yeah, for sure, and I think he's doing. He's been doing that sh- shuffle up and play or whatever series. Uh, sounds right. Yes, the pauper uh, episode was amazing. It's the best one so far. Yeah, the, yep. The pauper episode was just like two weeks ago, I think. Two or three, yeah. So yeah, he's still doing it. I I don't think Saffron's really touched Popper in a while, but he, anyway, that's neither here nor there. Yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because you sort of have that same open-mindedness. Like, I don't know if you listen to the MTG Goldfish podcast, but whenever they, every new card, it seems like Saffron just loves. Like, he loves every new card. He wants to brew every new card, and it's it's refreshing to still hear somebody like that. And I, I feel like you sort of have that same mentality, that same open-mindedness when it comes to building any given commander, especially newer ones. Like, you're willing to see where the deck itself takes you. You know what I mean? Your your vision is, is the long run where I see a commander and I'm like, how can I build that fast? Or, you know, how can I make that a fast deck or an aggressive deck or win through combat damage or whatever? I think that's just my, my, my slant, my mindset maybe. Yeah. Is that something that's just sort of natural to you or do you look for something specific in a commander? Like, say you got three or four of them lined out in front of you from, from the newest set from Dominaria. Do you pick one or do you just kind of go down the line like, oh, I'll get to that one later. But for now, I'm going to do this one. You know, what's your process with with specifically newer commanders? Uh, Yeah, so I think there's a couple things that go into my variety that uh, you like to say. Mm -hmm. I think I naturally probably am pretty varied. I do art. I'm an art teacher in uni and I rarely make the same art form twice these days it feels like okay like i just i just like to do new things all the time uh also there's the saffron olive taught me how to uh brew lots of types of decks so that feels like it helps but also when i make uh decks for the common commander account i try not to make the same decks over and over again even if they're my favorite. So yeah, you'll that's see sort of the aggro decks. I, I build aggro decks, stuff that you would like to play, um, but I mm-hmm. don't particularly like aggro decks. So if you actually look at the cards I own, you probably find a much less varied uh, group of cards. Sure. You know, and I think what really sort of opened my eyes to this specific topic was we had a conversation about Minthara one night after a stream, and we just had completely different approaches to it. You know, like I saw the plus one plus oh for experience counters and all i wanted to do was go as wide as possible and proliferate and all that sort of stuff and you were like well i think i want to make it you know hand disruption hard control and then when i'm ready to kill you with creatures i have those experience counters to buff them up and then you're dead and that really sort of like opened my eyes that you know you're looking past the obvious i guess you know to me it was obvious like you give your creatures plus one plus oh okay so you just want as many creatures as possible and you kill them but that was like exactly the opposite of your take, and it, it really helped me a lot. And I think I revisited two or three of my paper decks in the in the few days following that conversation. And so that was really interesting to me. And I just didn't know if that was something that you were looking for. Like if you looked at Minthara, for example, and you thought, 
well, everyone's going to see this as an aggro commander, so I'm going to build it as a control commander, or is that just something that comes naturally to you? You know, was it intentional, or do you just see that? I think that might be a difference in our backgrounds, Brad, because you obviously play a lot of pauper, and you've never played EDH, is that right? Correct. I've played exactly three games of actual EDH. Right. I've been really enfranchised in EDH, and the whole goal of EDH isn't necessarily to kill your opponents, because there's three of them and that's really hard. It's resource accumulation first. So I think that my philosophy stems from the EDH corner, and yours stems from the pauper corner, and that might be why we have different styles of deck. That's a pretty good point. I never really thought about the, the EDH influence. I think I have to agree with that because when I, when I compare you know my own lists to your twos, I see mine kind of lining up more with uh, Dallas's than I do with yours, Brad. I think mm-hmm. it really is just that resource accumulation. Now, granted, I don't, I don't go past the text box like Dallas does. I prefer to look at the text box and read that and be like, how can I do the most commonly done thing with this commander? but do it suboptimally. Because <laughs> that's what I find fun. It is. It is definitely your style. Yeah, I'm more, I'm really a, a big hipster in a lot of ways. I don't like to tread trodden ground. So when I saw him in Thara, it, people were saying uh, the rat stack. People were saying, why don't you just play the rat stack? And I thought, mm-hmm. I really wanted to play a death and taxes deck at some point in PDH. Lots of people talking about stacks on Twitter. Mm-hmm. That's very much inspired me. Yeah, that's been a me. big topic lately. So when I saw Minthara, I thought, she makes your tiny D&T creatures into threats. She's really mm-hmm. resilient. Um, she doesn't care if you kill creatures, and she kind of just fit the bill. So it was a combination of me looking past, but also me having death and taxes in the back of my head, I think. Yeah, and that's exactly what the conversation was too. You said I want to build Minthara Death and Taxes, and it was like it had never it never even occurred to me. It wasn't even on the like back burner. <laughs> it, it's it's also you're having these conversations, and and people are like, why don't you build the Rat Stack? Well, for the exact reason, it, it has a name. I'm not that's doing exactly right. right. <laughs> yeah, because it is a deck, and all all you're doing is swapping commanders. Yeah, there's yeah, not much brewing that goes like into that. the Rat Stack. <laughs> no, there's really not. I had no roomy persistent petitioners deck at some point, but. There's only about 10 card choices in that deck, so I ended up just pulling it apart. Wasn't that fun to mm-hmm. brew? I have built Ar- Arahumi three different times, and I cannot figure out what I'm supposed to be doing with her. Minthara? No, Arahumi. Oh, Arahumi. I have not attempted to tackle that one yet. She's very awkward. Is that the Cascade one? No. The Encore one. Encore. Oh, okay. I wrote an article about her being like when, when she first got spoiled i wrote an article on the pdh home base and i was really really excited and mm-hmm. then i like i built the deck and it was just in a really awkward place and i was like let's see how i can tinker with this it just went weird my first build was way too good for like casual games like mm-hmm. if, if i would take it to pals and just dumpster people on accident and i didn't want that <laughs> so i tried Oops. to take it into i tried to tinker with it more and then take it into competitive games but competitive the competitive scene has tetiova which means that the competitive scene is full of relics and heirlooms and fairy macabres and Nihil spellbombs. And so yeah. Arumi just gets dumpstered all day, every day in the competitive scene. And, yeah, all those things uh, hate so graveyard commanders. It's like, yeah, like optimized Arumi, lists, basically. Yeah, like Arumi loses to graveyard hate and also loses to any spot removal, 
which are like the two most common things that happen in, in competitive. So she in just loses yep. <laughs> categorically. So I had to I had to take my original build and just like take out all the good cards. Like I I'm now running like a, a very pals meta Araumi list with like Mesmeric Sliver instead of Gary because <laughs> because Mesmeric Sliver is funny and stupid and Gary just ends games and I don't want that. May I recommend right. a persistent petitioner's deck then? It's not that good. Uh, but it is very funny because you use the petitioners. petitioners. Yeah, I just use mountain. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> you use the petitioners to move yourself, and then you use the petitioners to mill everyone else. After that, yeah, solid. That that could work. I yeah, the petitioners with encore seems pretty interesting. Uh, and then the the only reason that I really wanted to keep the deck is because I thought dramatic reversal is so funny in that deck. It's extremely <laughs> funny. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> I thought about trying to do like a, a mill flavor of Araumi briefly because there's a cool interaction you can get. If, if you can untap Araumi and encore two things in one turn, mm-hmm. if you hit Halimar Excavator and then any other ally or changeling, you can mill 81 cards. Yes. Don't tease me with Halimar Excavator unless you have something to back it up with. I, I, I'm putting Halimar Excavator on the table for you to salivate over. Encoring the excavator by itself mills 27 cards. If you follow that up with any other ally or changeling, you get 54 more. Oh my god, that's amazing. I've been working on that card for, like, theorizing the excavator for so long. Like, I think Arumi, I don't know how to say that. I think that might be the home. Araumi. Araumi. It's Japanese for rough seas. I, I had the to look. Home. I had to look at this excavator card because oh, I, it's amazing. I don't know what it is, but I'm looking. And I'm like, how is how is this not just a regular sixty card pauper deck? It's not. It's, it I needs, spent. It needs I spent months. It, it does. I, I spent months on this deck, just working and working, and I could not find a build. It just gets, just like regular per- persistent petitioners in sixty card pauper. It just gets, like Dave says, dumpstered. Like the removal's too good, mm-hmm. graveyard hates too good. What, you know, even our minimal board wipes, you know, yeah. are too good. Like, because you can only have four excavators, and then you're looking into going two colors, which is kind of rough in sixty card popper to get more allies, and then some changelings, which are usually pretty weak and they die to pretty much everything. So after after your playset of excavator, it just sort of falls apart. That's rough. Yeah. Also, Arumi is right. It is one of my favorites. I will look into petitioners on Dallas's wise recommendation. Yeah, just use mountains. I just literally bought one to know what it does, and then 33 mountains in the deck. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's beautiful. That sounds solid. Yeah, and kind of to go in that same avenue as our Minthara conversation, Rilsa. I know we're going to talk about this eventually, <laughs> but <laughs> Rilsa, I don't think, had been out very long. Maybe just a couple days, and then we had our normal Saturday stream, and you played your Rilsa deck, and it was like, okay, I knew what she did. It was Undercity, it was the whole thing, dungeons, blah, 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 blah. We just had dungeons and Baldur's Gate and AFR and whatever. But it was like your version of the deck was like perfectly, I don't want to say perfectly, but in, in my eyes, it was like completely tuned. Like, yep, that's exactly how Rilsa should be built. And I, I just don't, I don't understand how you did that so fast. Like, that would take me <laughs> multiple streams to figure out and goldfishing and all kinds of other stuff. But you just like slammed it down on the table and you're like, yep, Rilsa Turbo Dungeon done. It was very impressive. Yeah, it's funny you say that because that original deck, my friends and I just did a draft of the, um, Camille Legends 2 Electric Boogaloo. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just happened to get a, a Rilsa. And I was like, everyone online saying this is a good Pauper Commander. 
I'm not really seeing it, so I just put it together with cards I own. And then I think I just drew him really, really well in that game. <laughs> there but was a little bit of that, but... I've upgraded it since then, and um, yeah, it does feel pretty tuned already. Yeah, you played it last week, and it was... I think we finally just... <laughs> like, that game was <laughs> You got to insane. the point where you were like, you guys just want to scoop? <laughs> like, you slammed, you slammed secret door, and you're like, I, I think this is game over. <laughs> we had Dave in the chat yeah, saying, yeah, to, shreds. It. To, to shreds. To shreds, you, you say. say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a good time. I'm very interested in, in Dallas's Rilsa deck because they took it in a different direction than I did on some... Like, there, there's some axes where, like, Rilsa just builds herself. Like, you, mm-hmm. you, you add in every card with initiative and every card with venture into the dungeon, like Secret yes. Keeper and Yonti Fangblade, like, they all go in there. Beyond that, I tried to throw in every single blue-black card in the format with the word trample on it. I because... noticed that in your build. That's really no. interesting to me, from my side. I, I, Is that I, because of all the counters and stuff that your creatures no. get? No, it's it's purely because of Rilsa's second ability, or third ability, maybe? The, Death if touch. you've completed a dungeon, you give a creature five power... Menace, Death Touch, and First Strike. Okay. Like, if that creature also tramples, like, no one will ever stop you ever for anything for those, ever. Yeah, for those of the uh, don't know, when you have Death Touch and Trample, you can do one damage to the creature for each creature that's blocking, and the rest goes over. So, yeah. if you get a seven power that's Death Touch mean. Trample, <laughs> it does one damage to a creature, six damage to the face. And of course they have First Strike, so your creature never dies. <laughs> right. And first strike right. means that the first strike and death touch means your creature won't even take damage really, unless something yeah. else also has first strike. And menace means right. if you want to throw two creatures in front of this to stop two of its damage, you can, and the rest <laughs> will trample through. Like, so, like real so with like Eldrazi devastators just seemed like absurdly Amazing. fun to me. But then you know I'm watching. Dallas play their list on Saturday, and I'm seeing like life linkers, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that child like, of night, Jesus Christ. That's that's the other direction you can go when you're giving things five power. <laughs> like, I'll attack you with a seven power child of night. I gain seven life. Like that. That is something that never occurred to me. And see, that's that's kind of yeah, that's like a more fine point of what I was saying. Like the first time you played your real deck, like I love life link. Like it's one of my favorite mechanics. Incidental life gain. I'm, I'm a huge fan. Like I love child of night whatever i'll throw it in any deck but i guess i just didn't connect the two like child of night plus rilsa plus the five plus oh power boom and now you're you know you're just gonna run away with it like it's just something that didn't click in my head was that i mean i know you said you just i built it out of the cards i had on hand but was that just a a route you wanted to go like when you saw that plus five plus oh you're like hmm i'm gonna put that on a lifelinker whereas dave said hmm i want to put that on a trampler like is that just your style or is that how you wanted to go with it initially i think that came about because I was building the deck and I ran out of obvious cards to put in it just that I, that I owned in my box here and then I was just looking again through everything and I saw lifelink and I thought hey that's lifelink's good plus five yeah sure that sounds yeah, like I'll put one really or good. two in there and then it, it turned out to be really good I think the story of that Rilsa deck is I severely underestimate it and now it's one of my favorite yeah I, I- it's one of my favorite decks that the format has, and I haven't even played my, my version of it so yet. <laughs> I, 
I feel like my, my Rilsa story is a little different. I feel like the first time I read Rilsa, I, I was like, this is going to be the most fun thing that happens in Commander Legends. And I was really hype about her instantly. And the first game I played with her was against my boyfriend, Blake. And he, like, he also clocked it as like, this is an enormous threat. And like every single turn I was casting Rilsa, giving something this plus five bonus and attacking for massive. And then every single turn he would kill Rilsa. <laughs> and I was like, I, I had a scare tiller in play. So I was like, I, I was recasting Rilsa for 13 and like 15 <laughs> like, because I had the mana to spare. And like Rilsa was reading all, was eating all the removal while the scare teller got through. But like, yeah, no, Blake, Blake was just instantly like nothing, nothing in this game will ever be as threatening as Rilsa. We need to keep that off the board as much as possible. And I, yeah, I think everyone looked at the plus five and I literally didn't care <laughs> because I, don't really like to win the game. It's not my goal, really. Mm. I just mm -hmm. really wanted to go take the initiative. And Relsa is one of, I think, yeah. four uncommon creatures that says take the initiative. And she's definitely the best. So the first build Far I did the best. was the black initiative background commander and dungeon delver. Uh, and I, so I thought, yeah. I thought yeah. this deck's going to be so cool. Because I have a Sephiroth deck and I love Hamapashar in there. Double the dungeon triggers. And it was just so bad. So I thought, I have to have initiative in the command zone. And that's sort of how I ended up on Rilsa. The plus five just ended up being grave. There are three uncommon creatures that take the initiative. I'm no, also, you're right, there are four. I I'm also I considering that. making Blood Boil Sorcerer, I think it's called, which is one of the other yes. ones that say initiative. Yes, yes, yes. Now, what do you... Okay, you were just talking about identifying Rilsa, all you wanted to do was travel dungeons and take the initiative and do that sort of thing. You know, we have Barrowin of Clan Undur from AFR, who is Orzhov Colors, but when they enter the, enter the battlefield, you venture into the dungeon. Granted, it's not the initiative, it's the, you know, the Undercity or what have you. Is that the big difference? Like, you wanted specifically to, to mess with the Undercity, or was it just the venturing as a whole that you wanted to do from your command zone? Yeah, I have brewed Barrowin, I think, several times, but it never feels right to what I want, which is weird because it's exactly my deck. It's tiny creatures, not big creatures. Mm -hmm. It resurrects in the graveyard, and it says Venture. I, I think one of the things that also contributes to that is Barrowin's pretty established, and when Rilsa come, came out, she obviously wasn't very established, even though everyone thought she was really good. Mm -hmm, so right. I think every time I built Barrowin, I was trying to be interesting, and it wasn't going anywhere. Whereas because I built Rilsa not looking anyone else's deck, I, I can build it pretty standard and still feel like I set a trend. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Because they're, they're similar commanders, but at the same time, they're vastly different from one another. Yes, Barrowin's more about the second ability, whereas for me, Rilsa's more about the first. Okay, and see, that's where I think a lot of this particular interview boils down, at, le at least from my side of the table, is identifying the separate sentences on a commander and, and sort of picking out which one you think is the more important for the, for the deck it's going to go into. Like you were saying, you know, Barrowin's second ability is more important, whereas Rilsa, it's the first one, you know? I'm not sure I agree with that. I think I think on Barrowin, both of the abilities are the important ability. And I think that on Rilsa, both of the abilities are the important ability. Yes, you're right. I think, I mean, the one that you build around. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't think you build around just one, though. Like, my, my Rilsa deck is... 
Like, it's got the tramplers because I, I really want to take advantage of that massive second ability. But also, I'm running basically every flicker spell I have so that I can flicker Rilsa and get the initiative triggers a lot because yep. that the you know etb take the initiative that's that's also enormous like the undercity is packed with really valuable stuff and like barrowin to me is like exactly the same like i'm running all of the really powerful like utility small cmc creatures and i'm also running every flicker i have access to in her deck as well and like i'm not i'm not really running meaningful removal in either of these decks because they're so focused on doing these other things <laughs> But like to me, I like when when a commander does two things. Like I want very badly to do both of them. Hmm. Okay, maybe that's um, a slightly different philosophy. Even when I look at Rilsa, I build around. I just wanted to speed through that dungeon, and then I put in plus five stuff because I needed more. Hmm. When I see Barrowin, I kind of see it the same way. It feels like it resurrects three power, uh, three CMC creatures, and it also ventures. Mm-hmm. In my brain, at least. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's kind of how I look at it, too. Like, I really want to reanimate all the little weenies I got in my deck. But in order to do that, I have to do dungeon stuff. Whereas Rilsa, when I look at it, similar to you, Dallas, I look at him like, okay, if I can just flicker or, you know, get Rilsa in and out of the battlefield a lot, that'll speed me through the dungeons. Oh, and by the way, there's all these bonuses if you do such. Yeah, uh, I think it's just a matter of perspective. Yeah. It's like, um, as I said, I have a Sephiroth, which is the Esper commander that goes through dungeons. And most people focus on her ability to reanimate a creature when you finish a dungeon. But mine is just a deck full of cycling, so I can speed through the dungeon insanely fast and get Dungeon of the Mad Mage triggers every two cycles. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> So, yeah, you know, every deck has that. If your commander has two lines of text on it, I'm sure there's going to be two types of decks you can build. Or three, right? Uh, Sure. One side, the other side, and really balanced. Yep. And I guess, you know, like, from my perspective, like, looking through your Moxfield or following your Twitter, obviously interacting with your your primers or deck lists you put up uh, on social media, you don't, at least to me, it doesn't seem like you struggle a lot when building a deck. Like, I'll put up a deck list... And then within an hour, there'll be 25 comments about take this out, take this out, put this in, use this instead. Why are you using that command or this and that? But you put one up and it's like, that looks really good. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah, um, I um, and I put this question in the in the show notes and maybe we'll get to it soon about the deck building template. Yeah, yeah, I think absolutely. My, my brain has absorbed a sort of abstract deck building template. So when I build a new deck, it's really easy to just sort of like, I can look at a deck and be like, okay, this probably needs more removal. I can look at a deck and see that it needs more RAM. It's just something my brain can... So you already have a like a structure almost just sort of baked in. Yeah, and it's not necessarily... When you, when you approach It's not a necessarily a number, but I can look at the deck and think, okay. that's a six cost commander and there's no two mana RAM. I should probably add some, and then I add as many as I can do. I, it's like an art, not a science. You add more paint until it looks good, and then you stop adding paint. I'm sure that uh, you understand, Brad, with all your beautiful altars. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Thank you. I'm I'm really glad that that's how you described templates because I was I was looking at that question in the show notes and I was like, uh, I kind of don't like templates, but based on your description, like that is very similar to what I do as yeah. well. Like I'm not. I'm not looking at a deck like I need eight pieces of ramp and ten pieces of removal. Like, do I have enough? Like, it's it very much is like a, a case by case. Like, does this commander need more ramp? Does this deck need more draw spells? 
So that is, uh, I think, an excellent point. And see, that's something I've never really thought of either. Like, I'll look at fill-in-the-blank mechanic on this commander, and I try to build a deck around it. I, I don't think about, like, does this commander need to be ramped out? Does this commander need ramp? How much ramp? Does it need draw spells? You know, I just like, oh, okay, well, here's 57 creatures with that same mechanic. Oh, crap, I need to cut 30 of them <laughs> to fit room for spells. I, I think that's philosophy again, but... I promise you didn't check out, I just... I don't no, know no, Rosa good. or uh, Baron that well. I know how to lose to him. Uh, yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I feel that, Brad, where it's very much like, I want to build Vega. I'm going to look at every spell I can that triggers Vega. And then I have 115 uh -huh. cards and all this. I'm like, well, crap. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> crap. And it's almost always creatures. Well, like, but, but, they always and, have 22 many creatures. In the case of oh, Vega, I'm sure uh, uh, Dave's about to cut in on this. In the case of Vega, you can usually get away with that because there are enough variety of mechanics where they all have a draw spell and a removal spell and a really good creature that in the case of Vega, you can just get away with every card triggering Vega and be fine. My, um, my Vega deck contains exactly four spells that don't trigger her. Uh, my Vega deck, every every non-land triggers her. I think except for Mana Rocks, which is Bondas yeah. Ornament and Azoria Signet. But like, because you know, the, the, like you don't really need ramp in that deck because you're playing things for cheaper than they cost, and you draw you know all the cards. But no, uh, for example, like my uh, uh, I'm trying to think of what his name is. Uh, Halal is that the red green kicker dude from Dominaria? Yes. 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 Yeah. Like when I built that deck, it was just I'm going to stuff every kicker spell into this deck. Why? Because I like playing things suboptimally, and I want to play every kicker spell I can. And granted, <laughs> that might be my uh, subliminal. Granted, there, approach. Too. There are six or seven ramp spells in it. None of them are fantastic. Some of them are okay, but there's six or seven ramp spells that get played on turn four in that deck. Um, I want to. Yeah. I want to chime in here and and add that. I personally feel like this plan is, or can be, an incredible plan. If you're looking at a thing and you're like, if you're looking at something like Hellar, like, I want to build the kicker deck, or Vega, like, I want to build the cast spells but not from hands deck, like, it is perfectly acceptable to, to for your draft one to just be literally everything that does that. It and absolutely is. You, but you play the deck a couple times and you're like, man, this whatever, two mana, three damage with a kicker of five mana to make it two extra damage. Like, this is a really bad card and it shouldn't be in my deck. <laughs> and then you cut it and you add something. I don't like, as you play the deck, you're thinking like, what does it really need? It, I guess it needs rampant growth. So you cut your stupid, like, eight mana, five damage spell for rampant growth and then your deck is better. See, Dave, that's where you're wrong. What you do is you keep the eight mana, five damage spell. And you cut a land from Mana Rock, and that solves all your issues. That I, I don't know if that's correct, <laughs> but I believe in you. I believe in the you who believes in you. So far, somehow it works. I run into listeners, the occasional deck where it doesn't, and I, I caution you. I caution you, listeners. Please do not take this advice. Do not take yes, no, lands. I, I am <laughs> absolutely right. the last person in this chat to be listening to deck building advice. I promise you. <laughs> I, no, I just I, I feel like on that topic of the the sort of mental template or, or mental structure, if you will, of, of building the deck. Uh, like Dave mentioned, you know, throw everything in there and play a couple games, and then fine tune it when you identify some problems. I feel like j just looking at Dallas build a deck from the ground up, which I've seen a couple times. I feel like he you have the knack of being able to identify those problems before ever shuffling the deck or be a, before ever loading it into Moxfield or whatever, and. You know, I'm really kind of curious if that's something that is is 
teachable? Is it something you consciously, you know, um, observe or is it, it just happens, you know, like, is it just your, your, your sort of gift, if you will? That's, that's a good question. Um, I think that you could phrase it another way almost. I'm really good at making first draft, but okay. I'm really yeah. bad actually at upgrading my decks the way that um, Dave seems to be really excellent at it. And I'm sure that's a skill that you learn from competitive like CPDH more than you learn from necessarily Pals Meta gameplay is <laughs> seeing this one card and changing it for another. It's very... Um, small levels of power increment. Uh, I think I'm really good at just getting one deck first draft out only because I've absorbed so much knowledge, so much, you know, I've watched every YouTube channel about deck building. The Command Zone, you know, MTG Goldfish, Pleasant Kenobi, and sort of absorbed all of that. And I can just kind of pump out a deck in about 40 minutes and it'll be playable most of the time and i think that's a skill that can be learned but it took me five years of absorbing to get to yeah. do, do you do strings where like you pick a commander and just build it on string i really do want to my only problem is i haven't been doing it because uh one i'm a bit busy but also i feel like no one will tune in because everyone's asleep in america <laughs> that that's <laughs> that might be a good point. <laughs> you, you don't want to have to start like a, a youtube channel instead or something you don't I've want to wake up at 4am to do this stream so that Not I can really. personally tune in? <laughs> so, that, I yeah, don't, so it's convenient for us? I don't understand. <laughs> explain this to me. I've definitely considered doing uh, YouTube. And when I get a holiday from uni, I might learn those skills. Because I've kind of always wanted to do a YouTube channel. Because that's what I watch. So that is an art form I want to do. But I have no expertise. I have no knowledge of it. If you told me to make a YouTube video and I wasn't allowed to look it up, I would probably die of old age before I got there. <laughs> well, thankfully, you've got some help in the States. Yes, and that hopefully will come out one day. Yeah, but no, that, that would be that would be awesome, actually, being able to, you know, not just um, not just like deck tech videos, but actually sort of see behind the scenes, like the process, if you will, of, of building a deck from the ground up. Because like I said earlier in the show, that's what a lot of people, at least on Twitter, approach me with is like, hey, have you ever heard of this commander from... 17 years ago what do you think what sort of deck would this you know be built around this <laughs> and sure i could start them off on the right track or give them 30 or 40 cards to start with but that's that's sort of what they're they're looking for i think is that extra little in-depth sort of um subliminal push yeah to to discover the you know they they need to discover the commander not just throw cards around it i think that's something that um is good and bad with the pdh home base there's that channel deck help that if you post any deck in there you'll usually get one to two people who give you some really good advice but because mm -hmm. it's like just a text on discord sometimes it feels mean or you don't understand why and then usually the chat will move on. So I feel like I understand that. And face-to-face, sort of -face, seeing the process can really, really be helpful there. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was the, the short way of what I was trying to say. I'm going to have to keep this very closely in mind because I am often one of the people who shows up in deck help to offer this advice. And I do not want to come across as mean. Yeah, I think it happens to I, me too. It's all about like the text. Even if we give you information, the the fact that you're typing just kind of ruins everything, you know. That's fair. I mean, in 
in, in fairness, if someone sh if someone posts a deck that runs Library of Lang, I will be mean. <laughs> that's the one caveat right there. Because that's a terrible card that no one should have in their deck. I have a friend who plays yeah, Library if... of Lang. Watch out. Uh-oh. have to get him on a pod sometime. Yeah, they play time... it in Locust God, uh, Locus God EDH. Oh, okay. And I think, too, kind of touching on both of your points about the, the deck tech or deck help uh, chat room, it, it is a very fast room to keep up with like there's there's always people in there talking decks and you know helping in this thing which is great but i think a lot of people know that it's really fast so in order to sort of keep the conversation moving or get their point made they have to be really abrupt with their with their text really short quick do this do that you know maybe one sentence as to why and then and then hop out because they'll know you know if they spend two and a half minutes typing out like two paragraphs as to why you should play this card over this card it's just going to get lost. Yeah. And also, some people don't want to do that. Like, you're just a stranger on the yep. outside of Discord. They look at it and think, I have that deck, and I'm playing this. It's really, really good, so you should just play that. And they don't always feel the need yeah. to explain why. <laughs> yep. I, I will take this opportunity to invite anyone who happens to be in the Deck Tech channel of the PDH home base. If you ever want more explanation or clarity from me, I'm always happy to provide it. Thank you very much, Dave. Absolutely right about that. I don't think Dave's ever not been available for my random deck questions. I do love random deck questions. And it could be a Magic the Gathering Discord thing. It could be just Discord in general. But you know, for the time that I was fairly serious about 60-card competitive popper, but still wanted to brew competitively, uh, you know, I was in the quote-unquote the popper Discord. And it was the same thing there. Like, you'd go into the brewing channel and be like, hey... I've taken this deck into the tournament practice room and, you know, I've won half a dozen games, you know, I'm, I'm six and two with it. This is my brew. What do you think? And you'll post it up there and they'll be like, no. <laughs> oh, okay. That's your answer. <laughs> no. Yeah. I think maybe that's just the nature of something. I, I don't know. But yeah, it was the same there too. I got that be like, a little that, bit. That deck's terrible. I'm like, okay, thanks. I got that a little bit in the CPDH, I'm not sure if it was in the tryhards of the home base, I'm not sure who it was either, where I, when I said Minthara, Death and Taxes, uh, several people just kind of said, why not rats? It's good. And I get why, because it's competitive and you want to win. Right, it'll win your games. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, it's a thing. It's a Discord thing. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you'll just encounter that, but I think I lost my place here. We covered that. I I, I forgot that there even were show notes. I'm just... I, I kind of did too. That's I, I was just mindlessly <laughs> scrolling, so I had to figure out where I was at. <laughs> the show notes we made along the way. <laughs> That's it, right there. But yeah, another thing I did want to bring up, and I, I think we've probably already touched on it a few times, is the synergies. You know, I think you're very good at identifying synergies, and obviously that's a huge part of deck building on any format: competitive, sixty card, limited, commander, what have you. Do you have specific ones that you're trying to make happen regardless of what the commander is? Or is that, you know, just like the way we we're talking about how you looked at Rilsa? Is it just natural to you to look at a commander and be like, oh, you know, Rilsa, that plus five probably likes lifelink. That's a good synergy. Or is it something you actually actively try to try to force in, in your decks? Because to me, I feel like synergy and deck structure are, are like completely different. 
Yes, I think that's a true statement. Um, I think I'm good at doing synergy in Magic, um, only because I love it. It's all I want to do. As I said, I don't really care to win, but I do want to make a tiny little machine that spins. So, if I can... That's a really good way to put it. <laughs> uh, I think that's how Josh Lee Kwai on the Command Zone puts it. He wants to make a machine that kind of just turns. Okay. So, I've got two sort of philosophies. And the first one's more simple, so I'll start with that. Usually, I start with a commander in mind. So, you've got your commander as sort of the nucleus, the center of the deck. And then you've got cards that synergize with that commander. And then here's the step that I think people tend to miss. You have to have cards that synergize with those cards. So if yep. your commander cares about life gain, you've got anything that says life gain, but then you also have to play cards that pay life because you have it as a resource. It's not necessarily the most obvious step. And then the last shell around that for me is cards that you should be playing like maybe ramp card draw or removal and as many of those as you can get to also be in the other boxes is like the best but you know you can't always have a vega deck where everything is triggering vega <laughs> not every commander right. can be vega not every commander synergizes <laughs> with 80 cards right but yeah sort of like a, a mental almost like venn diagram where the circles overlap and the different aspects of each card or, or strategy within the cards. It's almost more like a gobstopper, I think. They get layered yeah. out and out. The, the colors change as you get smaller and smaller. Yeah. The, this point you made about things synergizing with the other synergies, uh, extremely important. And if I can be forgiven for bringing us back to Barrowin, uh, a great example from my deck building experience with Barrowin is that I already mentioned that because I want those venture triggers, I, I built the deck and I added basically every single card with the text venture into the dungeon on, or every single card that um, flickers Barrowin. But Barrowin mm -hmm. is black and white, and, and they don't have access to the ghostly flickers and the planar incisions and the sirens uses. They have none of that. What they have instead are all of these black cards, like uh, Undying Malice and Feign Your Own Death, yep. where when the creature dies it comes back into play if you want to utilize those with barrowin you have to have a critical mass of sack outlets because you can't count on barrowin killing itself in combat you need to be able to yep. control exactly when she dies and when you can target i i think it's a she i'm not entirely sure uh yeah when when she dies and when when you can bring her back and flicker her with these spells like and if you if you have these spells but not the sack outlet then your deck doesn't function so you, it's a, you have to strike this very careful balance between all these things that synergize and the things that make those things work. So Yeah, yeah it definitely is a balancing act because you don't want to, oops, all of a sudden I'm an aristocrat's deck. <laughs> right, you don't right. want to go the, you know, you don't want to end up on the opposite spectrum too where you have a carrion feeder in the deck and you never draw it or whatever. Yeah. And to Dallas's other point where you, you want these, the, the things that synergize with, with your synergies, you, you hope that they fit the rest of the deck. Sack outlets are actually extremely useful in Barrowin because sometimes the creature you want to reanimate is in play. And like it, you need a way to get into the graveyard and then put it back into mm -hmm. play. So it's like, all about that multifaceted synergy. That's where you yeah, want that's the yellow. That's the yellow layer of the gobstopper. <laughs> I, ideally, you want to be able to, like, is everyone familiar with the picture of uh, Charlie from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where, where he's got this 
like board this, the this, board behind him yeah <laughs> he's like gesturing at it like like a psychopath like if like it's a conspiracy if your cards can connect with each other like that then you have a pretty good deck i'd say so yep and i, I think i've you know i always bring this deck up because i honestly think it's one of the better decks i've built but my risen reef deck is exactly like what we're talking about every every card feeds off the other one it feeds off the next one, it feeds off the next one, and they all ultimately feed off the commander. And like Dallas said, you know, this wheel's moving, the engine's churning, the wheels are moving, but it's like spinning in mud or in water. It's just not really going anywhere. <laughs> so it's like all synergy and no real, like, punch, if you will, no acceleration. Yeah, I guess so, this you're... Is so there's there's also a problem with too much synergy, I guess, is, is my point. That's true. I, I guess this is where my decks go wrong, is I usually focus on two, maybe three zones, and once it goes to that fourth one, I just stop caring. <laughs> like, sometimes like, you know. your vegetable cards the ones you have to put in aren't removal aren't card draw sometimes they're winning the game that happens to it's, me too it's it's yeah happens to everybody it's not even that it's just that suboptimal play experience <laughs> you just like you you are playing spell slinger and you're okay playing cards out of your graveyard but once they go to exile you're just like i i, I don't even want to try <laughs> yep they're gone so uh my other philosophy with deck building i think this is something that crash was talking about on the cpdh episode mm -hmm. it was sort of like the pathways so you see if you look at barrowin you see enter the battlefield that's one of the things that you can you can go down that path so then you put all the flicker cards into flicker barrowin and then the next step in that path is you put all of the uh creatures into the battlefield and do good things so that's the next step in that path and then the next step in that path might be for Barrowin, I need more blinking, but there's no more cards that blink. So you look at Undying Malice, dies, comes back. So that's the next step. And then you need Sack Outlets for that. And the next step of that is maybe I just want Recursion, just Death Denied, get cards from my graveyard into my hands. That's sort of like mm -hmm. long-term blinking. And you're going to go down that path. And then the other path of Barrowin is sort of the three mana creatures path. So maybe you want to be milling, or sacrificing, you want three mana creatures, you want them to do things when they enter the battlefield probably, and that path sort of slams into the other path now, and they've got an X shape going on. And that sort of synergy of pathways, I think, is slightly more advanced, just philosophically, is that a word? Philosophically? Um, <laughs> philosophically. Philosophically. And I think maybe that's why Crash was talking about it, because, obviously, he's a very knowledgeable deck builder. Yep. And if your deck only has one path, I think it will get boring very quickly and is easy to stop. So, the more paths you add without losing them, like you said, you don't want to make it an aristocrat's deck. Or maybe you do. That's another pathway you can choose, but maybe you don't. That sort of balance of pathways and how they intersect is something that um, I sometimes think about when I'm really trying to get into a deck, when I'm really trying to brew it, like my uh, Liara Portier deck. That's a good point. Yeah, I'm actually glad you, you brought that up. And I think it's, I was just thinking about this sort of analogy, like when I'm out driving, whether it's for work or personal, I'm out running errands, like I, I like to take the most direct routes I possibly can. You know, main roads, highways, interstates, boom, get there, done, get back home. I don't, if I can avoid it, I don't take the scenic routes, I don't take the curvy roads, you know, because I have a destination in mind, which I, I think that actually bleeds into like my deck building sometimes. Like I want to get from here to there. How do I do it? I don't care about the other paths. 
whatever crosses it, those are just exit ramps. I don't need them. They'll take me off course. Maybe you have to so imagine that you have multiple destinations and you, your car is weaving in and out, not always taking the most right. optimal road <laughs> because you're going the shortest distance between each, not necessarily the shortest distance to one. Right. And I think that's just a philosophy that I'll have to change or a mindset, you know, a way I think about it that I'll have to change. I didn't mean to, to derail what we were talking about, but you brought up your Liara deck. That's another one too. Like I... <laughs> I hadn't even fully digested what that commander did, and you beat me with the deck. I saw Liara, and I thought she was a rare, so when I looked at her the second time and thought she was an uncommon, I just built her that second. Yeah, you had it instantly. Like, I was still trying to read Liara, and you had the deck. It was was amazing. Like, and that's another one of those, same example, you know, it's a little more complex than Rilsa on some levels. It it just does so many different things, and there's I think I think Liara more than Rilsa is a good example of you venturing down these these winding paths that cross they cross each other and they intersect and the different strategies touch, but they all sort of go the same place because there is a million different ways you could take Liara, but you seem to find the way that was very aggressive, very fast, and very synergistic, which is kind of a hard you know, trio to sort of jam together. The first time I let, I read Liara, my brain immediately went to, it's super cool that she makes the your spells from exile cost less, but how many different ways really are there to, to put spells in exile that are now castable? Like you've got adventures, you've got reckless impulse, galvanic relay, like uh, what do you have? Maybe a dozen of those? Nah, this sounds boring. Like, and I, and I just immediately moved on. Like, the fact that she exiles her own cards for you didn't hit me until like two months later when I was yeah, like, oh, wait a, here. wait a second, hold on. She draws you know, three cards in combat. Horrifying. I saw the part that says cost X less to cast, and I'm just thinking X. Like, well, am I casting fireballs from exile? Like, what, what is happening with this? You know, I was thinking of X spells specifically, and it's just, like you, Dave, nothing clicked until far too much later than it should have yeah so the pathway for my liara deck was i built it standard aggro because that's what liara reads as you need to attack three people and you draw three cards Mm -hmm. and then i noticed because i was looking for evasive creatures and there's um that three mana flyer that draws a card when it enters and it's colorless that's a thopter sky scanner sky scanner sky scanner I put that in the deck, and then I noticed when I was playtesting that when you hit that on Liara, if you attack three people, it's free. Mm-hmm. I was like, mm-hmm. okay. So then I went back and I put every good creature that was colorless and cost three or less. And then I was yeah. like, okay, so that pathway has now started. I'm now on the free cards pathway. All these yeah. cards are artifacts. All right, I'm now on the affinity pathway. <laughs> so now I'm playing cards <laughs> with affinity. Right. Okay, now I'm playing cards that synergize with artifacts. Now I'm playing cards that say, um, you know, make uh, make tokens, make artifact tokens, things that make artifacts cost less, things that reanimate artifacts, and suddenly that was the whole deck. That deck is pretty linear, but I think aggro decks tend to be, and it's still sure. fun yep. because it's absurd. <laughs> yeah, all the times, you know, I think I've seen you play that deck probably more than, than you've played Rilsa, and every time... Yeah, it functions the same, but every game with it seems a little different. Yeah, like last stream we did on Saturday was... It was about turn six. I had Liara out for two turns. And I had about 20 permanent mm-hmm. because you just p- play three things for free. Yeah, your camera was full. Like your, <laughs> your 
your spell table quadrant was was full. Yeah, and that deck's really fun, and it's all about that pathway. And uh, the other pathways in the deck would be just myriad creatures, because you have to put them in Liara. It's, like, legally required. And then you need, like, a protection pathway, which is something I was completely lacking when I first got it. I have a question about your Liara list. Yes. To, in in my mind, you were talking about the, the these pathways smashing into each other and making the X. In my mind, the smashing into each other pathway between Artifacts Matter and Myriad is makeshift munitions is that in your deck it is not maybe it should be but it's hard to find room because i really want to hit free creatures often so i'll definitely look at that though that's a good uh include seems powerful with the myriad stuff that i saw you run yes i'm trying to brew up a liara competitive so that can probably go in that more so than necessarily the casual one do you know a person named puzzle box on the server yes when i mentioned competitive puzzle box with someone who showed me their deck list on twitter so okay good 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 as long as you've already seen their uh, liara deck yeah yeah i've played against it it's pretty fun yes it's also an affinity list it looks very very strong from what i saw yeah that like liara is deceptively deep like at a a glance i looked at her and i was like uh casting spells from exile whatever but like she's she she wants you casting spells from exile so like the the adventure plan like young red dragon still not a bad plan and like you also need to be really aggressive so she's on the aggro plan and she only reduces your the the colorless mana cost or the generic mana cost i should say uh, mm-hmm. so she's she's already on the artifacts matter plan and so like you're trying to find the intersections of these like three different pathways and what cards are going to really work well with those and sometimes you find a card that's really really good for one of these pathways like frogmite is solid card for the artifact matters pathway but like it's not very good at the other things and so you kind of just leave it off the list because it doesn't meet the threshold and then sometimes you find cards that are really good at like that are so good at just one of these pathways that you have to include them yeah it's a really interesting balancing act with liara especially yeah so for example with with liara you mentioned um adventure creatures there are some in there but only when they overlap with the other ones mostly so i've got blessed hippogriff i think it's called in there which is great for the protection (laughs) plan it's yeah it's a protection spell but it also comes with if you've attacked three people with Liara, a one mana three two that makes Liara fly, mm-hmm. which is like four Three-two. levels of synergy. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. D- depending how deep you are into the artifacts matter and artifact synergies plan, like Young Red Dragon, I think is, could be. I think I feel like Young Red Dragon checks all the boxes because the adventure makes a treasure, which will trigger whatever artifact matters things you want. You're casting it from exile, which is what Liara wants to do. So like, even if you don't hit it with Liara, you can just adventure it and then cast it for almost free. And it is an aggressive flyer, which I think Liara just needs to maintain this three cards a turn plan. Yeah. So like in my mind, that's checking all of the boxes. And I don't know if it checks them all hard enough to warrant an include, because like you said, the deck is probably very tight, but for me, it's it's the kind of card that I would slam into a Liara deck if I was building it. It's a deck that I have to continue to brew, actually, because it is surprisingly deep. I mm-hmm. would say it, that my first really draft... Is. It seems very fluid. My first draft was definitely not complete. Definitely not adequate. And there's cards even that I have in there now that I look at and I think, are you really worth it? 
and this deck just mm. is slowly getting more powerful, which is why I'm looking into CPDH so I can just maybe start a whole new deck. Yeah, with Liara, I was kind of like you were, Dave, like, oh, casting cards from Exile. I don't know if I want to do that. You know, <laughs> it just wasn't really something that I ever thought about brewing with, or maybe it just added an extra layer that I wasn't prepared to brew yet. But uh, yeah, it was just, it was very impressive to... I, I think Commander Legends Baldur's Gate came out on a Friday, and I think that next day, that Saturday, we streamed PDH, and I think you were playing Liara. You were streaming it, mm-hmm. you know, on Moxfield or whatever. And I think you, it was within 24 hours you had your deck built. That's how excited I was. Yeah, and it was strong, too. It was, like you said, it wasn't optimized or what have you, but it, it put in work. Like, I, watching you play the deck made me understand the commander better than just any reading I could have done. Yeah, see, those... We played two games that day with Liara, and they both taught mm-hmm. me something very important about the deck. Game one taught me that it really worked. Because it really yeah. <laughs> worked. Because no one knew what the card did properly. Game two told me that I need to have protection spells, because Liara's five mana, and dies to every removal spell. And that's what happened in game two. Yeah, I think you were up to 11 or 13 casting costs. Yeah, so every game I play with Liara, I feel like I learn a new lesson, which is really exciting, because not all decks do that. Rilsa barely does that, and maybe that's me, or maybe that's Rilsa, but Liara continues to surprise me. Yeah, and I can tell, you know, of all your decks you've talked about online or on the streams or what have you, Liara is definitely the one you are consistently the most excited about. Yeah, it's, it's my brainchild ever since it's come out, which is weird because I'm a control player more than an aggro player. Yeah, and that's actually kind of leads into almost the last point here too is, you know, you just said you're more of a control player more than aggro or this and that, but you don't just, not even the decks you have on Moxfield or not even just talking to you on Twitter, but playing, you know, two or three games with you every Saturday now for like the last two months, barring I think two weeks in a row, you seem to be one of the few players that, that I know that are just sort of at home in any archetype. Like someone could hand you a hundred card deck and then be like, oh, this is aggro. And you would be like, Oop, okay, I, I know how to play it or control or mid range or sacrifice or combo or, or whatever. Is that just, have you always been like that? Have you always experimented or just sort of understood all the different archetypes? Or is that more of a conscious decision to like, I need to know how to play aggro so I know how to beat it. I need to know how to play control so i understand how to beat control is that sort of thing i think it's one of those osmosis things too where like watching seth play every single deck under the sun for five years Mm -hmm. has taught me how the play patterns go like i know that when i play aggro i need to be attacking I can't just do my natural instinct of kind of sheltering up and accruing resources. The goal is to lower life total. So every chance I get, I have to be doing that thing. Uh, when I'm playing control, I know that life totals mean nothing. I need to bunker down. The only life total that matters is mine. Mm-hmm. So I think it's sort of... I, I have this weirdly encyclopedic knowledge of cards and strategy. It feels like in my brain. Like I just know... Any card that I just own, I just kind of know. But right. not that I can... Not that I'm some sort of genius. Like, I can't remember anything I learned at university half the time. <laughs> but cards and strategies and magic just seems to um, stick in my brain. Not that I understand faster, but that I can just, you know, um, get things quickly. I can put pieces together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes total sense. I think that's like any other sort of like creative outlet, you know, music, art cooking 
anything like that. Yeah, and you know, everyone's good at some things, and everyone's really bad at some things. Uh, yeah, just happen to so be it's more okay just at magic. A, like a full, or you know, an understanding of each archetype. Like what what's my role? What am I supposed to do? Yeah, um, I wouldn't say I'm. Okay. I wouldn't say I'm actually that good of a player, to be honest. Whenever I play <laughs> a competitive game, I make mistakes and I notice them very quickly. Sure. I'm not an expert at any bit of a jack of all trades maybe yep that makes sense you know and i've it, it definitely makes sense because i've sat down at the lgs and uh, a buddy's handed me a deck or whatever and it'll be tron or blue black fairies some kind of hard control deck and you know we'll just be testing it or what have you and i'll go to attack on turn three with my spell stutter sprite and he's like why are you attacking like it's a creature like that's what the creatures are made to attack. He's like, no, they're not in this deck. That's not what they're for. And I was like, wow, that's so, like, not what I'm used to, you know? Yeah, it's sort of that understanding of your role in the game. And that is complicated right. at a four-player table, even. Because if you're the control deck in a two-player game, you know that you have to stop the other person. If you're the control right. deck in a four-player game, and there's another control deck suddenly your role becomes very, very different. Your goal is more to make the other person use their resources first so you can control them via not controlling everyone else. It, it's sort of this compound. Every player you add, every deck you add really changes everything about the matchup. Uh, and that's where sometimes I drop the ball. Like if I'm a control player in a pod with another control player, Sometimes I just counter the spell without sort of considering. And I see, when I watch competitive EDH games, I see a lot of people, they do the thing where they don't counter the spell because they know the next person has to counter it or the game ends. And I think, that's so genius. Why do I never do that? <laughs> so, like, yeah. Yeah, I, it would not have occurred to me either. Yeah, CDH people, and I'm sure CPDH people too, are genius of, of play patterns. It took me a long time to figure out how counter spells worked and like passing priority, but it's it's good. Mm -hmm. And turn order and sitting in the right order at the table—it's all <laughs> deceptively important. That's something I've never actually consciously worked on. I'm, I'm, it's definitely an aspect of the game I need to work on. But yeah, that's that's that next level of okay. I've got the deck built. I understand how to play it. I understand its conditions, its synergies, this and that. Then you got to take it to that next level of okay. Now I'm actually at the table, facing down three unknown decks or what have you sounds like a, another podcast topic definitely could be and that's not one that i'm an expert on so i probably want to get crash or someone like that back in <laughs> yeah that shouldn't be a problem but yeah, i think that that pretty well covers it liam or dave did you have anything to add nothing comes to mind i feel like this has been pretty uh thorough yeah i think so too it was pretty casual and informative yeah. i mean i mean edutainment pardon they say pardon my silence but i was learning a lot right here no i i was too i just i kept interjecting because i felt like i had to but no it was very very good information yeah and even i've learned i've learned some stuff even as the person being interviewed like um thanks for the includes dave for some ideas yeah i, I would if you if you end up experimenting with makeshift munitions i would love to hear how it goes because it's i honestly don't know if it's like a really good card with all of the the creatures and the, the sacrificing and the extra tokens or if it's just like kind of a mediocre card that i am blinded by my love of uh -huh. sacrificing <laughs> things and dealing damage and being 
absurdly hyper aggressive at all times. So like I honestly don't know how to evaluate this card in this deck. Like it could yeah. be. And see, I'm with you. I, I I love wasting my own resources to kill people. So I'm with you, Dave. I, I sounds like it would be amazing, but I would have no idea. Yeah, I makeshift munitions is probably not as good as I think it is. But like I think it's really, really, really good. So like I don't know exactly where it is. <laughs> Seems good in Liara. Often have um, mana free in the late game. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe in the next mm -hmm. stream we'll see it come out. Makeshift Munitions yeah, seems to check similar boxes to what Young Red Dragon does, where like it checks all the boxes, but it checks them very lightly. That's true, but it's good removal. Yeah. I think that's why I'm interested in it because it can kill commanders. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like one one of the boxes it checks here is kills things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm like that's a big box. Yeah, <laughs> it checks the boxes in pencil, not pen. Yeah, and there are cards that I'm not happy with, like Fireball. I put it in there because I thought one red X equals three, but it's just never. It's always in my hand. Yeah. Yeah, you never find yourself wanting to cast it yeah. unless you're actively killing me with it. That's true. And it's that was good. funny. That was funny. <laughs> so I good. think that that sounds like a card. Um, when I was messing around with Quintorius right around Capenna, and that that Scarab came out, and I was like, "Oh, this would go really well with Quintorius." And I think it was Skaker who pointed out to me. He's like, "He's like, yeah, if your only goal is to have that card in the graveyard, like that yeah, card yeah. does that card does nothing else for the deck. It needs to go in the graveyard to do things with Quintorius." So I I think that the card you just described, you know, if it if it has to be an exile to do anything for Liara, it may not be the card for the deck. I think you're exactly right, Liam. That's a good point. Like, like, don't get me wrong. Like, it, you know, it does the thing really well when it does the thing. But if it's not doing the thing, it does nothing. It's just dead weight. Mm -hmm. No, that's a really good point. I can't remember what the name of that Scarab is, but that's a conversation that I had on Twitter that's going to stick with me for a while. Halo Scarab? Yes, Halo Scarab. I wanted that card to be a lot better than it was. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the Treasure Maker. Mm -hmm. I can't say I ever saw it. Yeah, because in my head I was like, well, it's just a blocker, and... You know, the reasoning was if it's just a blocker and doesn't do anything till it's in the graveyard, it's not the cut for the deck. Yeah, we have better better options. Yeah. Did you say you didn't know you don't know what that card is, Dallas? Oh, I said that I never really I never really saw it as anything, which is interesting that oh, you guys yeah, yeah. were excited for it and I passed it by completely. Because sometimes that people pass by things and then they end up being the next, you know, hot deck. So I, I wouldn't say I was ever excited for it. I would say that I, at the time it came out, I was actively reworking my jury deck, which is a, a sacrifice-flavored deck, and I mm -hmm. was thinking about trying to make a Kalein deck, which is a treasure-flavored deck. So at, at the time, I was, I, I was searching up you know every common in those colors with the word treasure, and it kept on coming up, and I kept on being like, yeah, treasures! Wait, this is really mediocre. <laughs> like, yeah, Same yeah, thing, I, I was... I don't think it helped that, like, it, Halo Scarab was in Streets of New Capenna with, they were just, there was dump trucks of free treasures yeah. throughout that whole set, but this one gives you one treasure that you really have to work for. Yeah, I yeah. was I was a similar boat to Dave. I was retooling Quintorius at the time. And I saw it, and it kept coming up in searches. And it's just like, it just doesn't do enough. Yeah. Maybe maybe in a world where Contorius doesn't have 200 good cards. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> we got to go back to the PDH of 2013, where everyone made uh -huh. decks by, you choose your commander, you find the 20 cards that work with them, and then you just put 60 other garbage cards in, because <laughs> yeah. that's all that there is. <laughs> that's all we got didn't oh, didn't mean for the end stuff. of this episode to just be dumping on halo scarab but here we are <laughs> no hey somebody needed to do it get halo scarab off its pedestal that's right
it's not all that. Oh, but I think that pretty much does it. Um, a few more things before we wrap it up for the week. If you guys out there need any more Popper Commander talk or have any questions about the format, you can always email the show at thepdhpod at gmail.com. Uh, you can head on over to PDH Home Base's website or the Discord server. They're all connected. Uh, you can find Liam or I on Twitter at Popper Command or at Popper underscore B. And you can always find Dave as Alcadron just about anywhere else PDH is being talked about. Uh, another huge thanks to Dallas for coming on the show and uh, tell the listeners where they can find you. Yes, I am on Twitter at Common Commander, all one word, and I'm also on Moxfield under the same name, and Discord too. Yep, perfect, perfect. Uh, I will put, uh, I'll make sure to put all the links down there in the details so the good people can find everyone. Uh, but if you are out there listening to this show or this episode on a platform that allows ratings and reviews and you like what we're doing, it's a big, big equation there, just be so kind to leave us a review. It helps boost our visibility and we would appreciate it very much. And then last call for anything that we might have missed during the show. Anything? I think we got it. Yep, I think we do have it. All right, as episode 10 of the PDH pod comes to a close, I want to give a big thanks to MTG Brad for letting us use their original music for the show. And from everyone in here to everyone out there, brew a deck and play some games, and we'll see you in about a week. Peace. Cheers. I brought the party. Party.